So the, the theme really comes from verse 24. And that is that answers to prayer did two things in the life of this woman. It validated God's messenger. And the second thing it did, it validated God's message. And that's what I really want to impress on us today, that if we will be people of prayer, if God will work in North Valley Bible Church, that we become a praying church, a people that call on God passionately, that people will say, those folks at North Valley Bible Church, they know God. And God's word that is preached and taught at that building is the truth. If we will become that kind of people, that's the kind of impact that we can have. If people know that you pray, people will come to you for prayer requests. My mother-in-law is a woman of prayer. And whenever I really get desperate, I will call my mother-in-law and I will ask her to pray. Because I know two things about her. One, she is a woman of God. And secondly, that the word of God is the truth coming from that lady. My wife used to walk with a next-door neighbor, and they would walk nearly every night. And she would witness to this other lady and just tell her about her love for Jesus. And she would talk to her about Christ. And she asked about Tracy's childhood. And Tracy would tell her about her mom and the prayers that were answered as a kid. And one time, uh, Tracy's mom was sitting down at the table, and she was praying. and said, oh, God, it'd be nice to have a tomato sandwich right now. I guess you got to be from North Carolina to appreciate a tomato sandwich. <laughs> and a uh, little boy knocked on the door. He shows up and he's got a tomato in his hand. He says, give this to Tracy or something like it, because he knew that Tracy didn't like tomatoes. And so Tracy walks in and says, did you take that from the neighbor? Wondering if she'd overheard the prayer. and brought, That's just the way her life was. But getting back to the story of, walking in Alaska with this next door, not, not Alaska, Ireland, walking with the next door neighbor lady and um, just talking to her all the time about prayer, about how good God is. And uh, one day she came over, panicked, beating on our door. And she says, Tracy, Tracy, will you pray? I took out a large sum of money at the Bank of Ireland today and I don't know where I've set it. I may have laid it down at the bank. I may have left it on the counter. But whoever finds that, they're going to find a huge sum of money. And I've lost it. I don't know where it's at. And so Tracy and her prayed. And Tracy says, go back to the bank and see if it's there. And sure enough, they ran the cameras. They saw where it was laid down. And, and I don't know all the other details of the story. But that money was given back in full. Not a penny was missing. Same thing happened next door. Um, a lady came knocking on the door, wanting to talk to Tracy. Her brother had been on a ferry going to, to Wales, and uh, he took his life on that ferry. And she says, I need, I need God. And I know, I know that you talk to God. I know God is real in your life. And Tracy was able to sit down with that lady 
Another lady down at the end of the street, Tracy would clean her house every day when she had cancer, nearly every day, fix meals for her sons, fix meals for her boys. And um, one day she grabbed Tracy by the hand when she was leaving the house. She says, what makes you different? She says, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died for our sin. I believe that Jesus can give us new life. She gave that lady a little track, a little gospel message. She read through it. And when she ended that, she says, I put my faith in Jesus. When we are people of prayer and people can come to us and they know that we are people that talk to God and God is active and living in our lives, it validates us as God's messenger and it validates God's truth. Now, when I was studying this passage, I'm just struck how Jesus uses this as an illustration in the New Testament. There were many, many widows in the days of Elijah, but none of them was sent. None of them had Elijah sent to them. None of them. All these widows. And yet God finds in his wisdom and his infinite knowledge to tell Elijah, go to Zarephath, there is a widow there who will sustain you. God knows those who are seeking truth. God knows those who are receptive to truth. And God will order our steps and He will align us with those people who are seeking truth. Israel had had moved away from the worship of the one true God. They had apostatized almost completely. In fact, so bad that Elijah said, I'm the only one left. God had to remind him, no, there's 7,000 others that still haven't bowed their knee to Baal, but pretty much the nation had gone into apostasy. And so God finds a woman who is looking for truth and sends Elijah to her house And God had to prepare Elijah special for this ministry because Elijah, I don't think he would have gone to Zarephath if it hadn't been him up in the mountains for two and a half years, whatever, until that brook dried up and an unclean animal brought him bread every morning and every evening. And so now he's ready to take this message message to an unclean woman. When she gets there, when he gets there, there she is gathering up her sticks and getting ready to fix one last meal. And there's nothing left to eat in the house. And Elijah says, give me a drink of water. She says, okay, I'll get you a drink of water. He says, oh, by the way, when you're going to get that drink, make a cake for me. She turns around and says, there's nothing left. And then she says one word, and Elijah says, okay, this is the right lady. As your God lives. And he says, this is the lady, this is the house, this is where I'm supposed to be. Because she is acknowledging the God of Israel, the one true and only God. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is the lady that's going to provide for me. And he knew that. So this woman is a woman of faith. She is a woman, I think, like Cornelius. A woman who prays to the one true God. And then God sends a messenger to her to bring her into a full understanding of this covenant relationship she can have. 
And when she sees that God answers prayer through this man, I mean, she experienced her, her barrel of meal never going empty. She experienced day after day the oil jar never going empty, but she never proclaims this during that time. Now I know indeed you are a man of God and that the truth is in your mouth spoken by the Lord. That never impressed her until she sees this miracle of answered prayer. That's what impresses her. Now, our text starts out with saying, Now after these things happen, the son of the woman who owned the house, her son became grievously ill. And I've got to back up and say, okay, what things happened? And, and we look at the text, we see the things that happened. And after all she did, I mean, here's a, a, a woman of incredible faith. She opens up her house to Elijah. She takes her last meal that she's preparing for her son and gives it to a prophet. She prepares a room for this prophet. She sacrificiously gives, and she's experiencing God daily in her life, and after all that, her son dies. And I think she's got a misunderstanding of God. I think we have a misunderstanding of God that somehow God owes us something. God doesn't owe us a thing. And this woman says, look at I have done all of this, and now after all this, you're going to take my son? And so she has a real misunderstanding of God, and she has a misunderstanding of theology, and so she's going to get a greater revelation of the God of Israel, the one true God. Now, if we took a, a, a 30,000-foot view of the nation of Israel, sort of like a flyover of the Old Testament this morning, we would see that God was using Israel, one nation, to bring about the knowledge of him to all people. God calls Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. He says, you're going to be a blessing to all people. I'm going to bless all those who bless you. And you see that start to be played out all through the book of Genesis. Wherever Abraham goes, God blesses him. And God curses those who curse Abraham. And these nations around are starting to learn there is something special about the God of Abraham. And the true of his son Isaac. Isaac is a well digger. And every place that Isaac sticks the shovel, he hits water. And the Philistines, they're so mad, they start stopping up his well. So he goes someplace else and he digs another well. And God blesses him. And then Bilmelech says, whoa, I need to make a covenant with this man because I know that there is a true and living God in Israel. And then Jacob, the scoundrel that Jacob was, he's running from Esau because he's afraid he's going to kill him. And that night that he's on the run, he has this dream, and there's a ladder going from Jacob where he's at on this land up to heaven, and the angels of God are ascending and descending on that ladder. It's interesting that Jesus in the New Testament, when the disciples came to him, he refers to that story. That ladder was none other than that one promised seed. And Jesus says, you are going to see the angels ascending and descending on who? On the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is that ladder in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ is this whole picture. And all the nations are to come into knowledge of this one true God. And now, this little Shunammite woman 
is learning and experiencing who this God is and getting a better understanding of God. She displayed faith in God. She was faithful to the Word of God. She sacrificially gave to God, and yet through all of it, her son does not escape the sickness. He escaped the famine, but for whatever reason, and God doesn't tell us why. God doesn't give us any clue here what's happening. And so we need to be careful what we read into what God is doing. There could be a lot of reasons, couldn't there? And, And certainly it could be because of sin. We're told in the New Testament that every child of God that sins is going to be chastened. It could have been that the devil was behind all this. We don't know. Job found that out later on, didn't he? Well, Job never did find that out. We know it because we get to read it. But Satan is a part of it. It could have been just that the natural processes of life, this son got, got, got an infection. Maybe he didn't have his mask. I don't know. Maybe he didn't get vaccinated. But we, the Bible doesn't tell us, and we don't need to go there. But this woman had a misunderstanding she had a misunderstanding about what God might have owed her. And, and why does God ally trials? Let's, let's look, at, look at, it says here in our text, it says in verse 18, so Elijah says, she said to, the, to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? What, what is your interest and my interest? Are they anything alike? You're a prophet of God. How do you and I, what do we have in common? Are we going in the same place? Are we going in the same direction? So she's wanting to get a better understanding of God. Have you come down to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? It almost sounds like the the apostles, James and John and Peter, who have a misunderstanding about sin. Sin is universal, isn't it? We're all affected by sin in our lives, one way or another. They come to the the, the temple, they see a guy begging, and they say, well, who sinned? Did he sin, or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus says, no, you got it all wrong. Neither he sinned, nor did his parents sin, but I want to reveal my works in his life. And it may be that God just wants to reveal himself more clearly to this lady. That's how much God loves you and I. He wants to do things in our lives so that we can see Him more clearly. And so He's going to clear some things up. Sin, like I said, is universal. Even the most uh, robust person is susceptible to disease, to frailty, to destruction, and eventually death. Um, It reminds us of how transitory and how fragile life really is. This woman, though, I believe is teachable. And I think that's what we want to take away this morning, is that when we face trials, it's not wrong to question. It's not wrong to seek answers. Ask God those questions. God's big enough to absorb them. Because Elijah does the exact same thing. Look what Elijah says. He says, give me your son. And then when he prays, he cried out and said, oh my God, have you brought this tragedy on the widow? So even Elijah is questioning these things. Trials are important because there are times for God to work. Trials are a medium for God to manifest himself 
so that we can see him more clearly. When God raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus decides to stay two more days after he gets the message that Elijah, I'm sorry, Lazarus, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. He says, okay, I'm going to wait a couple more days, and then we're going to go see him. Then when he gets there, it's been four days. And he tells his disciples, I'm glad that he passed away. I'm glad that he died for your sakes, because I want you to see who I really am. And so trials are often a medium by which God manifests his work He reveals His glory, He reveals His power, and He shows us something about ourselves. God works through the humble, God works through the needy, and God works through those who are receptive. This woman was needy, she was humble, and she was receptive. She had invited the prophet into her home, and now God is going to give her more revelation about Himself. And that is encouraging to me today to know that if you are seeking God, if you are hungry for His truth, you might not understand the things that are going on in your life and the trials that you're facing, but God is going to show Himself in a greater and deeper way in your life that you may have never experienced without that trial. One of the things that Elijah experiences here is a deep, that deep desire moves God when we turn to Him in effectual prayers. Let's look at the the prayer. So when Elijah finds out about this child being dead, verse 19, he says to her, Give me your son. Give me your son. Elijah was personally invested in the lives of this family. This is what I want to be extremely clear about this morning. That if we don't have a deep desire, it will never move us into prayer. You've got to feel personally invested in someone's life before it will move you to prayer. You have a lost relative. You must understand that this person is going and destined to an eternity separated from God. That will give you a desire for deep and passionate and longing and crying out to God. You've got a loved one who's being diagnosed with a disease or a close friend that's been diagnosed with, with something that's terminal. It will move you to prayer. And God says, I've got to get a hold of people's hearts. I want them to have passionate prayers. Jesus was a man of sorrows, and Jesus was a man who was acquainted with grief. When Jesus saw the multitudes, Matthew chapter 9, he was moved by compassion, wasn't he? And what did Jesus do? Jesus gave a prayer request. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest for the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. It was because Jesus was moved by compassion that led him to prayer. He was traveling through the city of Nain and he got to the gate of the city and they were carrying out the only son of a widow. 
When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, woman, don't weep. We must be invested in the lives of the other. It took the child, he took the child from, it says in, in the New King James, I don't, didn't read other translations other than the original, the, the Hebrew word, it literally says, he took it out of her bosom. That's, that's where the, the child was laying. This was a, the, the, the only son of this widow, and Elijah senses her sorrow. He feels her grief. And if we're going to be people who pray passionately, we can't be aloof from people who have desperate needs. This is what Elijah did. E.M. Bounds, who has written several books on prayer, Someone actually wrote a book about him, and it was called The Man of Prayer. And they quoted one of his books, and this is what he wrote. Desire gives fervor to prayer. The soul cannot be listless when some great desire fixes and inflames upon that soul. Strong desire make for strong prayers. The neglect of prayer is a token of dead spiritual desires. The soul that has turned away from God when desire no longer presses it into the closet. The soul has turned away from God when desire no longer presses that soul into the closet to find time alone with God. Living faith pours out our whole heart before God. Elijah holds nothing back. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy on this widow whom I've lost by killing her son? We must pray persistently and with faith. It says in verse 20 that he cried out to God. And then in verse 21, it says he stretched himself on the child three times, and cried out to the Lord. This is a picture of persistent prayer, isn't it? He didn't stretch himself out once, twice, but three times. He kept going back and forth and saying, God, please do something. When Jesus taught us to pray, this is how he taught us. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable on prayer. And before he gives the parable, Jesus spoke to them and he says this. He said, men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Don't faint in prayer. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up on prayer. Be persistent in prayer. And then he tells a parable about the widow. We know the story. Again, a widow comes to the judge. This judge doesn't care anything about the woman's problem. He doesn't even regard men. He doesn't even fear God. But what does the judge do? He answers the woman's request. And Jesus says, here's the point of my parable. If I can find it. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? He says, disciples, do you get the point? This... Judge doesn't care anything about this lady. He doesn't have any fear for me. But because of her importunity, I will grant her request. 
Is God anything like that judge? He's nothing like that judge. Our God is a good God. Our God is a loving God. And the woman has a complete misconception about the character of God. Is this like God who recompenses back to me this disaster because I've been sacrificially giving? That woe is me. Don't you and I pray like that sometimes? God, look at all I've been doing. God, do I, I don't deserve all of this. No, if we got what we deserved, it'd be a lot worse, wouldn't it? God does not mark iniquities. If he did, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. As high as above the heavens, above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. He does not reward us according to his iniquity, but as a father pities his children, so our God pities us. We've had earthly fathers who gave us good things. How much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? And so we are learning through this passage that God's character is good, he's gracious, it's kind, he's sympathetic to our needs. But here's a man who persistently and passionately prays, and he prays by faith. I never realized it until I started studying this passage, but there has never been a resurrection up until this point. I couldn't find one. Even with Moses, all the great prophets, Elijah had no theology book. He, had no, he didn't go to some seminar on how to raise people from the dead. There was, he had absolutely nothing but confidence of what God could do. This was prayer of just absolute faith alone. He says, God, I know you're able to do this. God, if you can fill that barrel of meal every single day, you can keep that jar of oil from going dry, then God, you can bring life back into this child. Faith. What a powerful, powerful tool that you and I have. Boy, I struggle with faith. I really do. I read passages like in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, when Jesus walks by the fig tree, and he looks at the fig tree and he curses it. And the next day they walk by and they're marveling at this dead fig tree, and Jesus turns around and he says, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, of course, we know that's hyperbole. God doesn't want us moving geography everywhere. That's not the point. But what he is saying is that if you trust me and you're asking in my interests, you're asking for my glory, you're asking for what will bring a profit to my kingdom, advance my cause, if you will ask it and you will believe it, I will do it. That's, that's the words of Jesus. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that whoever says unto this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith will come to pass. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say unto you, the things whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now this does not teach that God's sovereignty is subservient to man's will. 
This teaches us that when we pray according to God's will, we know that God hears us. And if we know that God hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. God always does what is best for us. And that means we might go through something difficult. This week I was reading about a pastor in Turkey, an incredible man of prayer, an incredible man of faith. And his faith had grown so much, he said, God, you can do with me whatever you want so long as I advance your kingdom wherever you need me. A week later, he was arrested and thrown in prison. And he was laying in this dark, dank cell with no food, no light, no water. And he was saying, God, what am I doing here? God, I am your servant. I am your pastor in this underground church in this Muslim country needs to hear about Christ. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He says, Pastor, do you remember your prayer? God, I will go anywhere and I will speak to anybody who you want me to speak. And he began preaching the gospel in that Turkish prison. And man after man and guard after guard came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Watchman Nee was imprisoned in China. They were so afraid of Watchman Nee because he was a man of prayer. They said, we will not allow a guard to be watching over him more than six hours. And then we will rotate that guard and the guard will never go back. We'll find another one because they were so afraid of what that man could do through the power of prayer. Because every time he converted one of those men, they went out and shared his story with somebody else. And Watchman Nee would write down letters to go out to the underground church. And Watchman Nee said, I've only got five hours and I'm going to pray for this guy. I'm going to pray for this guard. And after four hours of witnessing to him, the tears began to flood down his face. And he handed him another letter. And he says, you take this and give it to the underground church in China. Because Jesus Christ is alive. Our God hears and our God answers prayer when we ask according to His will for our good and for His glory. We can count on it. The result of answers prayer, the result of answered prayer, it vindicated God's messenger and it vindicated the message of God. The child was revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down to the upper room and gave it to the mother. And Elijah said, see, look, your son lives. Our God, the God of the Bible, the God of North Valley Bible Church, the God that you serve, Jesus Christ, your Savior, he answers prayer. Our God is able to do whatever we call upon him for when we ask and believe. Your son lives. Now by this, I know that you're a man of God. Verse 22, simple phrase, then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. I want to just remind you of a few promises today. I was going through the Psalms and just kind of writing down some of my favorite Psalms about God answering prayer. Psalm 65, 2, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. 
Psalm 5 and verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. Hearken unto my meditation. Listen unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. Another beautiful psalm. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and they were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The young lions, they lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will hear thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 55 and 16. As for me, I will call upon the Lord, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. My mother-in-law, who writes letters out to churches every month, for the last 40 years has signed every letter with Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Our God answers prayer. Your son lives. By this, I know that you're a man of God. Baal claimed to have the power to give life. He was the fertility God. And now she says, now I know it is Yahweh. It is the covenant God of Israel who gives life. There's a difference between the false gods and our God. Our God is living. Our God is real. God delights to work through the humble and the teachable. The Lord's word is the truth. His message is true. From now on, this woman was going to be a woman of the follower of the the God of Elijah, the God of Israel. God does not require from us what our sin deserves. This woman learned that. This woman learned that God was merciful and long-suffering. She learned that God was powerful enough to save life. And the greatest apologetic defense for our faith is that our God is a God who's intimately concerned in our lives. I remember when I was struggling as a teenager about my faith. I wrote my sister. She was a strong Christian. And so in her reaching out to me, she sent me a book. And it was evidence that demands a verdict. And it had all the evidence you could have ever wanted. I mean, it had the Greek manuscripts. It had the number of Latin manuscripts. It had the uncials, minuscules, you name it. It had it all. It had archaeology. It had all the philosophical reasons. 
But that's not what I needed to know. I needed to know, is God alive and is God real? And God speaks and touches through people's lives. And I remember, I'll never forget when I opened up my Bible for the first time and began to read about Jesus, and Jesus began to touch my life. He began to speak to my heart. And this is what this woman experienced. She saw God as a living God that came into individuals' lives and changes things for us. Desire must drive our prayers if they are to be effective. We could see this in Elijah's life, how he passionately prayed, how he was invested in this woman's life, how he was persistent in his prayer, and how faith moved him. So I have three quick questions before we close and take the Lord's Supper. And I want to invite you today to make a decision on what we've preached this morning. First of all, how would you rate your desire for God? On a scale of 1 to 10, just be honest with yourself. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to talk to anybody else. Just before God right now, your passion and your desire to be alone with God to go to that closet place and to be a person of prayer, where would you rate yourself? Second question. How great is your desire to experience the transforming power of Christ in someone else's life? How great is your desire to see the transforming power of Christ in someone else's life. Because if that is great, you'll be a person of prayer. Number three, how great is your desire to see lost people come to faith? If we're that kind of church, if we're that kind of people, I believe that God is going to manifest Himself here at North Valley Bible Church. So before we... Take the Lord's Supper. I just ask you to, to quietly in your pew or your chair, wherever you're at, just to pray before God this morning. Confess to God maybe you don't have much of a desire to pray. Maybe you don't have much desire for seeing God's power in people's lives around you. Answers to prayer. Or maybe you don't have much desire to see people come to the living Savior. Or maybe you, there's somebody that you want to just pray for right now. A lost person that you've been had on your heart that you just want to intercede whatever God is speaking to your heart right now I just want to invite you to to respond to, to God's word